I didn't want my kids to be everywhere all over me all the time. They were, but I, when I would light the candle, the door would shut. And at least for that little bit of time. Yeah. So that was something that I was really interested in at that time. When you say like, did it start with the pandemic? Yeah. A lot of my creative practice really revved up with the pandemic because I don't like, I might have like a rebel personality or something. I don't like anyone to tell me that like, I can't do something. Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks. My name is Erin. I'm your host, and today I am joined by a guest, Maggie Frank Shue. Maggie is an author, a book coach, writing coach, and here today on the podcast, we're going to dive into the topic of creativity, specifically creative writing. Maggie, welcome to the show. Hey, Erin. Thank you for having me. Maggie, you and I have been Instagram connected for quite some time. I discovered you, I think, right at the beginning of the pandemic when you published your book, Be About Something. Mm -hmm. I think it was through Tracy Stanger, but I am not really sure. A lot of the people I know on the internet are through Tracy Stanger. She's a connector by nature. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I love what you post. I love your energy. I love your vibe. It's very like, big sister, you got this type of uh encouragement and also like a very low bullshit meter Mm, yeah yeah I agree with that yeah good good so why don't you tell us uh all about what 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 are you about you're about something and uh tell the audience a bit about a bit about Maggie yeah, uh, sure. Well, I'm, yeah, I met you. I found you. I thought I found you, but you had a very small Instagram following when I started following like 200 people. So you, I yep. watched you really grow it and do a wonderful job. Um, yeah. So I, um, I'm a writer and editor. Um, I've always been a writer. I've always worked with words. Um, I wrote my book in 2020. That was my first book self-published. I'm working on a second book. Uh, and third book. I have a second book finished that I'm shopping around and then I'm working on a third thing. Um, but yeah, but that's, that's my art. Um, and then I also, uh, edit other people's work that's for a living. I do, I work with people who want to write books, who are writing other things. I edit their stuff and I live in San Diego. I have a couple of kids been out here for about eight years And so I kind of, I work my nine to five and part of it is I work on my own writing and part of it is I work on other people's stuff. So pretty good. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet gig. Yeah. And where did you start? How did you get to that gig? Oh, start. Well, so I'm 42, so I'm not, not close to where I started anymore. Yeah. Um, as far as like where I'm at in life now, I, you know, I've always worked with words. Like I said, I've known for a lot, you know. I wouldn't say from, from childhood, but definitely like late high school, you know, junior, senior year. Um, I was being told that I had talent as a writer. I wasn't really writing. I've never written fiction, but you know, my essays and stuff. Um, and I've always felt very comfortable writing and I've, I've always been a big reader as well. And so when I, I went to college and I had American studies was my major, which is kind of like English and things like that and history. 
and I really didn't have a sense of what I wanted to do with my like career. And I was going to go to law school and I just didn't at the end, <laughs> you know, it was senior year and I kept being like, well, I guess I can go to law school. And I got into law school and I just didn't feel like it was the right path. So I moved to North Carolina and I got a job at a newspaper. And okay. then, um, and then I went to, I went to journalism school. I moved to New York and went to the school of journalism at Columbia, got my master's very young. I was still only like 25 when I got my master's. And then I started working at magazines in New York and that was a good way. I met a lot of people that way. I worked very much like on the fringes of, uh, you know, big magazines. I was a fact checker and then I worked in marketing for several years and got more online. And so when I started my own business, I kind of brought all that, you know, it's much more, I'm telling it in a much more linear way than it yeah. happened, but, but yeah, I brought sort of the online and the marketing experience that I had in certain jobs with the original kind of writer and editor stuff that I've been doing all along. And so that's, I've been doing my own business for ever since I had my oldest. So about eight years. I love that because I think that, you know, if someone were to come to your account, if come to your Instagram and you're talking about writing and you're talking about the editing process and the publishing process and mm. you're encouraging people to dive into their own creativity and to share their ideas with the world through writing. And if you're coming to that account, things look really, really fully formed. And I like to kind of dive into my entrepreneurial guests who have taken perhaps a traditional educational route that then have developed into a non-traditional way of building their own entrepreneurial set of skills and has become, you know, a crystallized business, crystallized like way of life and a way of building a life um, that is really the only way you can become Maggie Frank Shue is to actually be Maggie Frank Shue. You cannot replicate your journey because it's very unique. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I'm, you know, the one thing that uh, relates to, to creative practice is, um, I've always tried to keep up on, I just pay attention to Instagram and my email list, but I always share and write something for them, even if I don't know. So I try not to write like journal posts and stuff, but even if I don't quite know, like the goal business wise, um, I always put stuff up. I always share something you know, usually related to my own creative practice, just because like, I think it's really, I think a lot of people, and we could get into this, like, I think a lot of people wait until they know what exactly what they want to say and how they want to say it and why they're saying it, what they hope will happen when they say it. And it's just really hard to know all that stuff all the time about everything. And so I think that that is one of the things that I've done over the years is the business has evolved a lot, you know, over the last eight years and gotten closer and closer to really being about writing and editing, which are my core genius zone of genius things. And all along the way, I just kept sharing, kept like posting to those two places, to Instagram and to my list, my email list. And, and that's a good practice for me just to not be completely sure why all the time. But um, but I've shown up consistently, and I think that's why it still exists, frankly, <laughs> why my business still exists. So creativity plus consistency, you would say, if someone says, like, how do I get to a place like you? How do I get to a place where I'm able to run my own business and make a living editing and writing 
you would recommend creativity and consistency. Yeah, well, I just I like what I just said, because it was a thought that was forming in my mind as you were talking about like how it looks from the outside, because like (laughs) consistent, I think people are inconsistent with creative practice because well, creative practice is something different. So we're talking about writing for my business. That's actually not a that's not like when I write for my business, that's not that's not so much my creative practice. There's a lot of other stuff I'm doing. That's more, you know, making art, that's sort of different. But even like, you know, that writing for my business and like, it's very hard to be consistent if you're trying to be perfect all the time. I guess that's how I would summarize it. Mm. So you cannot wait until you have all this stuff figured out because then you won't, you will not share. You will not, you won't even write for yourself. You won't, or whatever your art is, you won't make anything. And I think that was like a thing that really held me back, especially in my twenties and early thirties, like that I was just. I thought I really even as someone who was a writer and knows other writers, I just thought that like writers, good writers already know what they want to say before they start writing. And that the more that I Mm. made my own stuff, the more I realized that that was it's just not true. Even like and I really, you know, I mean, I'll wait until you ask some of these questions. But (laughs) (laughs) one thing that's helped me is is kind of paying attention to what other people say about creative practice, like famous writers And I noticed more and more that they were saying things like, you know, I write a first draft. It's completely, I just write, I don't know where it's going and I know I can fix it later. That's something that the poet Jericho Brown says a lot. It's just right. I just write because I don't worry about fixing it. I, 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 I leave that to like later me. And I think that kind of advice really started to seep in to me, but the consistency thing, like you were saying, I did make a commitment to show up at least three or four times a week mm-hmm. because there's no, nothing can be produced without making space, mm. like time and space to, to make it in. So, so that is one thing. I just started dedicating more time to showing up for my writing. One of the things that is a big part of Be About Something is you encourage people to really kind of hone in on the thing that uh, gets them kind of fired up. Uh-huh. And I think that for me personally, I'm only getting closer to that space as I do what you're talking about, which is this iterative exploration, either through words or writing. I'm a talker, so generally I'm exploring and I'm talking my way through ideas with guests. I'm talking my way through things on Instagram. Sometimes I'm writing. Sometimes I'm, you know, maybe once a week, probably diving into like a creative writing practice. Mm -hmm. But that part of it sometimes gets you to the something that you're all about. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it can be really, really nurturing and a way to like really take care of yourself. Yeah. And so one of the questions I had for you is, you know, Self-care is this huge industry, you know, sprouted up overnight, face masks and bubble baths and iced coffee. But I think the real thing that is the most beneficial form of self-care is some kind of creative practice. Mm, Yeah. Where you're producing very little Mm -hmm. and you're ticking, you're ticking very few boxes. Yeah, I love that. So let's talk a little bit about creativity as self-care. You know, you're you're saying you love that. You know, is creativity self-care? Can it be self-care? What is your take on on that? And and what is I would love your opinion on just like the self-care of the moment right now. Because one of the best things about Maggie, if you're gonna go and follow her on Instagram, which I know you're gonna do after this interview, is Maggie is a hot taker. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. Really reliable for for a well-formed, actually not a hot take, because a hot take is usually sort of 
fly by the seat of your pants, but you're you're very, very well-spoken and you have a very strong point of view mm. that I really appreciate. And I come to you for that point of view. So I want to know, what do you think about you. self-care of the moment? And what do you think about creativity as self-care? I mean, I'm not really plugged into like, I think it's been pretty well debunked. Maybe I'm just following different people, but like, I don't think that anyone thinks that, you know, that self-care is like so superficial, you know, like getting massages or doing your nails or things like this. I mean, that definitely can feel good, right? Um, but I think the kind of like nurturing and refilling of your energy stores, I think you're just better off sleeping than doing any of those things, first of all. <laughs> I think a lot of people should get a lot more sleep and stop adding so many to-dos. Like, I need to get a massage. I need to go to this place. I need to, I need to unwind. I need to buy these things. I need to buy a face mask, you know. I think you should just sleep every time you have that impulse. So that's my hot take on that. But creative practice is self-care for sure. And I love, and that like I will advocate for making time for. Mm -hmm. I think anything you can do, if we even take the word creative out of it, anything you can do that has no um, prescribed outcome mm. can be really good for you in a couple ways. It's really hard for me and almost every woman I've ever met, particularly, I think, I'm trying to think if this is a white woman thing specifically, but you know, most women I've met cannot d feel very uncomfortable do spending time doing something yep. that doesn't have a prescribed outcome. Yep. And, and I mean, there's lots of reasons for that, but lots of valid reasons, like people need to make money and they need to worry about things. But I think if you, like I started with a very few minutes uh, of different things where not even just writing. So let me think of like a couple examples. One is, yeah, writing first thing in the morning. I did that for a couple of years um, over the last couple of years before I used any of that writing, like I drafted anything, you know, from, from that. So I just write, I mean, I think that's one of the hidden reasons journaling might be so popular is people, maybe people, the outcome people are prescribing to it is like, well, I've got to get my feelings out, but there isn't like something you're trying to use that writing for. So I think journaling can be a really good practice. Oh, okay. Um, I also, I really like, and this is some, this, I don't know. I, I give this tip to people occasionally. I don't know if anyone else ever follows it, but I personally really like engaging in an art practice that isn't my zone of genius. So like I love writing and I am, that's the thing I'm best at, but uh, in terms of like creative arts, but I also paint mm -hmm. um, in a sketchbook. I don't typically, I haven't like, I framed one thing that I've ever painted. Typically I I do it in a sketchbook and I leave the sketchbook open on like a, I have a tall table that I stand at in this room that I'm in right now. So I will paint for five and 10 minutes a couple times a week. I don't know. I It's really when I feel like it, truly. <laughs> and I really like that, that I don't have a lot of, I don't have any any kind of rules about how often I need to be doing that or what needs to happen with what I paint. Like nothing happens with it. I just turn the page when I'm done to the next page in the sketchbook. Does that make sense? So I feel yeah. like so that's like, I love, so that to me is like a type of, I think there's, as we're talking, I'm realizing there's different types of creativity even. Like, mm -hmm. so there's that for me is like totally for me. And it the role it's filling, if it's filling any role is just for me to have some unstructured time in my day. Yeah. Like time that's not assigned to anything. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think that can be a really good self-care practice for people who don't put themselves first very much. Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah, because it's very hard to do something for five or 10 minutes 
first of all, it's hard to say you can't, you don't have five or 10 minutes ever. And so, but you'll find, or I find if I do something like go to my painting table for a few minutes, all these thoughts flood in like, well, I should do laundry. I should, you know, I really need to get prepped for this, or I should go to Costco or (laughs) I don't, I can't go to Costco in five or 10 minutes, but you know, there are things that other things I could be doing. And it's actually like a really low stakes way to start experimenting with putting yourself first sometimes is to be like, well, what if I just do this for five or 10 minutes? And then I go and do those other things for my family or for other people, or because it's, you know, important to somebody else. So I think like that, I think that aspect of self-care comes into, that's how something like that can become self-care. You know, in general, I'm a big fan of, because I have so many clients who get writer's block. I would call it writer's block. It's, you know, the most of the time people get writer's block because they're getting too far ahead of themselves. Like they're trying, and I do this all the time. They, they're trying to um, go from zero to 60. And it's like, you should really go from like zero to two. <laughs> it's okay to just go to two and then four. And then in the, you will get to 60, you know? Yeah. And so like something where like, there's a lot of like shouting at women to take care of themselves with self-care. But I think if you really want to become someone who takes better care of herself, I think starting really small with something like that Mm -hmm. is the way that it's worked for me. Yeah. And consistency to go back to that, because I have these plans that I set up for myself at the beginning of every month. And I say, here's what I'm going to read. Here's how I'm going to play. Here's the something new I'm going to try. And here's how I'm going to think and focus my thoughts. And that play category has slowly become smaller concentric circles closer to, I guess, you call it zone of genius. I wouldn't call it zone of genius, but it's very much at the heart of what relaxes me, what settles me down, what I find soothing, Mm. what I feel like aligns with my identity. And when I engage in that play, I come away feeling more like myself And then I can dive into the laundry. I can go to Costco because my identity is not running around tending to the external parts of myself, Mm -hmm. the external roles that I have. Because sometimes I see people are really fractured by Mm. mother, employee, sister, daughter, community member, wife, and and that's six. Mm -hmm. That's enough things. And And they're trying to tend to all of those personas. But their deepest fear is if someone asked them at the playground, what do you do for fun, right? Because none of those six personas care about what we do for fun. Those are all about serving others and about showing up for others. And where was I going with that? (laughs) I was going to say is that it's only through that repetitive plan of play for me over four years that I've gotten actually good at it. Isn't that cool? It is. Yeah. So I think like cumulate, so thinking cumulatively and accumulating instead of, so that's like a really big part of creative practice that I just want to stop and highlight because I think that you just nailed it too. It's like that things aren't fun if you're trying to like, because yeah, people will have projects and hobbies. Like this is why I don't do things like knit, um, <laughs> you know, because I'll get like, oh, I'm going to make this really complicated big thing and it's not fun yeah and it overwhelms me and I always quit and so I've stopped doing stuff like that like where I think like thinking in terms of accumulation and there's all kinds of things you can practice 
when you show up consistently like that. Cause you can practice the actual, you know, having time with no outcome. Yep. You also can practice, uh, appreciating yourself for giving yourself that over and over, like say, you know, really feeling good about yourself, patting yourself on the back, which is something I used to never do. I never used to take time to recognize any win. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And so I think like in any sort of like higher stakes, like, oh, I got a client or I, you know, I did something awesome in some other way, right? I would never stop there and just be stop in that moment and be like, oh, I did that. You know, it's only with doing smaller, really smaller things that I've had that Mm. chance to um, practice. I don't know. I'm real. I know you love gratitude. I don't like using that word, but some, but like, because I'm appreciative of myself. I'm glad I gave myself that. Uh, or, you know, that was fun. <laughs> I liked that. I know? like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like instead of like rushing to the next thing after you accomplish something, you know? So there's a lot of things through that practice that you, um, that's, yeah, it is a practice and you're also practicing, you're practicing for bigger for bigger time, whatever is like more feels more high stakes to you too. Oh, that's interesting. Because I think that when we talk about self care, we sort of and you said women are being shouted at. And I love how you said that. That's a classic like Maggieism. Yeah, the void is shouting at women. It's like, well, if you've just checked off your self care, maybe you wouldn't hate playing with your kids so much. Mm. And it's so laden with the value judgment Mm. about how you're spending your time, what you're getting out of your time, and that you're doing it all wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of self-care is to come away feeling better than you started. Yeah. If it's five minutes, if it's 10 minutes, if it's an hour. The problem is, is that when you start, you feel pretty shitty. And you usually feel pretty terrible for part of it while you deny showing up for all those external personas. Yeah. The first five minutes of your sliver is about this is wrong. I'm wrong. I'm taking time away from those people that I need to show up for. Who's going to fold the laundry if I paint a flower right now? Mm. And you kind of have to suffer through that part. (laughs) And then you get to the part where you're like, I had fun today. That was fun. Yeah. And then you can walk away. But the challenge, I think, for many people is making the time, protecting the time, knowing what to do with the time, and then actually doing what you said you were going to do. Yeah. But it does take practice. Like, I don't think that I could have quite gotten to the place where I've been able to get without just saying every month, okay, let's try again. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That, that, yeah. You accumulate stuff over time. And this is also something I've learned through the practice of writing itself. I don't want to say it in a harsh way, but Let's say it this way. I One of the reasons I made a lot more time for writing is because I want to have a lot more time. Like I, most of the stuff I write doesn't go anywhere. Bear with me because I'll bring it back. But uh, so I write a lot of stuff and I just don't go, like I go, I'm not going to pursue that or I'm not going to try to, pu- you know, what is my goals with my writing, publishing stuff, right? So, but before I publish, there's like a hundred steps, you know, I might write something and then try to like figure out how to collect a few some things into something bigger, et cetera. So most of the stuff I write, it's just like, you know, I don't, it's not like I'm beating myself up, but I'm like, I don't want to go with that one. I'm going to, I'm going to move on. And so there needs to be time because like, say like 75, 80% of the stuff I write is going to stop. It's going to not go on. 
And I think like if I thought that if I thought about that in like kind of a capitalist productivity kind of way, that would be a horrible percentage. Maybe like, why would I even, mm-hmm. that's very inefficient. Why would I even devote myself to something where I'm only going to use 20% of what I make at the most? But I think like what you said about, come, you know, starting again every month, it's like, that's the mindset shift. It's like, we're doing all of this so that we can make one or two, like, it's okay to have to like, just start again. And like, I didn't have to do it perfect in February and I'm going to come back and do it again in March. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Well, it's also that zero to two miles per hour instead of zero to yeah. 60. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also let's, let's modify our expectations for what your slivers of self-care are going to do to move the needle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because if, if you self-cared for five minutes and, it, and you felt the same, and then you self-cared again for five minutes a week later, and then you were like, this isn't working, I better stop, mm. then we're not going to ever move the needle. But if you self-care for five minutes a week and then 10 minutes a week and then 20 minutes a week, then in a month, we might get you to a place where you actually have a sense of how to spend that time, a sense of when to spend that time, and a sense of what the return on your investment is. Yeah. But it's not going to be, I'm so sorry, a face mask on Sunday night. That's going to get you to a place where you feel like you understand who you are and what your identity needs to be nourished and cared for. Yeah. And I just feel like I'm getting closer and closer to just being like a real asshole about that and saying like, stop talking about the face mask because it's not going to get you there. And I'm impressed that you're in a space where you're not getting that message because I still feel like the void is shouting at me. Um, You just haven't found the right face mask. (laughs) Well, where we're like really, we're really, I don't know if you've ever heard of this or if you would see yourself this way, but where we're, we're like saying the same thing is like, um, there's, have you ever heard of this? God, what's his name? Steven Pressfield. I think he wrote this book called like the pro there's a book he wrote called the war of art, which is really a lot of people talk about. I don't really love that book. I don't really like anything he writes. However, there is the idea in one of his books called The Professional, I think, or something, and the difference between an amateur and a professional. And where I feel like I don't like this framing, right? Because you don't have to be professional, like making money professional. But the difference is you are you have that commitment to where like you will do you will show up and do the work and you're not expecting every single time that you show up there or do the work the work, the play, whatever, you'll show up and like, you're not expecting every time you show up there in the case of a writer to like write, you know, a masterpiece. You just show up every day or every, however many days you've decided and you write a little bit and you write a little bit and you have this patience about what is it all going to be. And I think amateurs have this impatience, like, when am I going to be less stressed? When am I going to be free? When is it going to be over? When am I going to lose weight? When, you know, and they're, you know, or when am I going to write the thing, right? For my thing. And what you're saying that's so similar is like, it's more of a professional angle or mindset where it's like, yeah, I am not trying to make a quick fix or something. I'm not trying to do it just once and then I'm done. Um, it's just like something that I, and that's, you know, I return to over and over. And that's why I think like, what you do like in your creative practice, it has to be enjoyable Mm. in it in and of itself Mm -hmm. and not for like what it can make. So like I mentioned the thing about painting, but like even when I'm working on my writing, which I make money off my writing eventually sometimes for some of the things I write. But if I were using that as the only um, metric for measuring 
you know, whether I want to do this or not, I wouldn't be doing it. There's a lot of easier ways to make money, first of all. And second of all, it's like each time I'm showing up, I want that to be a pleasurable experience. Mm hmm. Because in, in and of itself, it has to feel good to be doing it. Like you said, at first, like you you might have some bumps or uh, friction, mm -hmm. but eventually it just feels really good or you like how it feels when you're done, mm -hmm. you know? So you said it has to be fun, the part of your creative process. Yeah. Maggie, you also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you feel like everybody can be writing. Yeah, I do. I, and I have read a lot of, yeah. I mean, I've read so many, I've read so much stuff since I wrote me about something. I've been in many, many writing communities that really kicked off a lot of stuff. I started working with more writers professionally and also just, well, it's all professional, but you know, being in writing groups, there's a writing group that I facilitate. There's others that I'm a member of, and I've read a ton of people who are not going to quit their day job. Yeah. There's incredible things that people have to say. I do believe everyone has a book in them. I don't think everyone is necessarily going to write their book. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about be about something. Let's talk about time to write. And let's talk about the book that not everybody's going to write, but lives within them. Because mm. I think I totally agree with you, but I think there's some people listening right now that you're going to have to convince. Mm. About what? The book in the book in them. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> Every I don't think that I'm gonna have to convince anybody that they have a story. A lot. I mean, the more I talk to people, meet people, everyone knows. Like, if they sat and closed their eyes, they know like what they think is interesting about their life that they wish they could write down if they had time. I don't know if everyone is gonna say to themselves like, I don't know how pe everyone talks to themselves, but I do think that there is like a. Well, here's what I'll tell you before you go before you go there. Yeah. I am going to say that I think one of the reasons that people go for the quick fix of self-care is that if you really want to peel back the layers, self-care is about self-love. The reason that people get distracted with bright lights and shiny things of self-care is they're not sure of how to love themselves or they don't think that they're worthy of love. And that's the mm -hmm. same reason people don't think they have a book in them is mm -hmm. they don't love their stories or they haven't spent time loving themselves and loving and recognizing everything that they've been through mm -hmm. and celebrating the challenges they've overcome and acknowledging the stuff that they've already learned, whether they change today from today moving forward, that there is a life that's been lived and that there's there's a uniqueness and a specialness that comes from only you. But you have to love who that is to think that anybody else might love it, too. Yeah. So that's that's where I think. Mm, I think you might have to convince a few people that there's a book in them. So go ahead, but go ahead. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, and frankly, I wrote me about something in 2020. I haven't read it in a couple of years. So I'm sure there's things in it now that I disagree with uh, or like ways that, you know, approaches. I mean, I'm down with the, the, the three parts of it and, you know, it's sound like what I tell people to do to kind of bring out their story. But I'm sure there's things that like, I don't, there's lots of different ways to skin a cat when it comes to figuring out how to tell your story it's funny because you sent me like ahead of time, you, you said something about like, you asked me a question, like, what do people do if they aren't ready? And I mean, I don't know, you know, the funny thing is, is like, you're always, so the book is called Be About Something. You're always about something. <laughs> like if you are not ready to take control of what that message is, you know, or like to have some insight or pay attention to what you're putting out into the world, that's one thing, but you're always putting something out. 
So with your, you know, if you're not writing just with your, you know, your presence in the world, however it is you do communicate. So I think it's worthwhile to spend some time being intentional about what that is. But if you're, you know, so that's what I would say about not being ready. I don't, if you're not ready, you're already doing something. (laughs) So there's not really a possibility that you're not already communicating some kind of message. So this is like not deciding is still deciding. Mm -hmm, Yeah. If you don't tell me what you're about, I'm going to figure it out just by being in your presence. Yeah. And that's a little bit scary because that's scarier to me because it's like somebody's like, I think people, you know, somebody's figuring out what you're about and you don't know what you're about. (laughs) You know, you don't have any kind of like agency in that. It's just like some things are happening to you. People are putting labels or what they judgments on you. you Absolutely. But that's how we spend our time, Maggie. We spend our time Mm. serving the roles that other people are asking us to participate in. Mm hmm. You know, and we're not always bringing our identity to those roles and saying, here's what I need to play this part for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And, and that's okay. Like, I, th- I don't want to suggest that our relationships are transactional in that way. But again, I go back to that playground horror, right? Is like, is if we're on the playground and you're like, so Aaron, what do you do for fun? And then I just would rather a big hole in the earth open up so that I don't have to answer that question and tell you that I don't, I don't have fun. Mm. Or I don't know, right? It's the same thing as like, well, the decisions made for me is I don't have fun. Instead of intentionally being able to say like, well, I have a podcast, you know, and I kind of like to mess around with like recording and I invite people on, on my show and like, you should check it out sometime, which I sidebar have never said to anybody on a playground ever. Um, but, (laughs) but again, yeah, I think people aren't ready to be about something. They're like, Maybe when it's perfect, I'll be about it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say to people who aren't, aren't ready, honestly. Like, I, I think, like, the last few years have taught us a lot, and I don't know what people are waiting for. So I don't have, like, a lot to say. <laughs> you know, I don't know what else – what other signs you need that, like, life is short and can't wait. And we can't wait for, you know – I mean, you do get into a pattern of, like – um well, when the kids are such and such age or after yep. baseball season or after this hard winter, then I'll be ready, you know, and that's, a, I just don't, it, I don't know. I don't do that anymore because that's not, nothing is promised. And, you know, these are all cliches, but they're really true. It's like, you know, you might, lots of things come up and keep coming up. And that sort of baseline is like the expect the unexpected. So you can't wait until everything dies down because it never does. Is that because of the pandemic or was that before? For me, it was because of the pandemic. I mean, the story of writing Be About Something was published in like July 2020, I think. Yep. And I started writing it pretty much in March or April. Like it was like, or maybe I don't know exactly the timeline anymore, but it was, I wrote it in like 10 weeks and had it edited by a very good editor and got the cover designed and put it up on Amazon basically. And, um, that was kind of my way of like, yeah, I was immediately hit by the fact of, wow, you know, like the way the world's, and I had my kids with me, you know? So anyway, I would not recommend, and I don't usually, you know, they went into daycare starting in June of that year, but, uh, but yeah, they were around and it was just chaotic. And it just felt like one idea that really helped me a lot because we had to stay at home was the idea of making space. So let me see if I can explain this because it's a little woo-woo or esoteric. So for example, whenever I start my writing practice, I always light a candle and say like a little blessing. 
And then when the practice is over, I put the candle out. And that's a way of like making, like setting a space, like making personal space. And I think like when all of us were like shoved, you know, I mean, we live in a house, you know, luckily for us, we had plenty of space really. But like, just this idea that like, I didn't want my kids to be everywhere all over me all the time. They were, but I, when I would light the candle, the door would shut. And at least for that little bit of time. Yeah. So that was something that I was really interested in at that time. When you say like, did it start with the pandemic? Yeah. A lot of my creative practice really revved up with the pandemic because I don't like, I might have like a rebel personality or something. I don't like anyone to tell me that like, I can't do something. And I saw a lot of my suburban mom friends kind of just give, I mean, first of all, a lot of people left their jobs a lot of people, um, but a lot of people just were like, well, I can't do anything now, yep. you know, or they would try to keep every, their work life exactly the same, not acknowledge at all, like how chaotic their life had become because they didn't have childcare. And I just was like, I don't like to be told that now the outside world is just going to take over my life and I don't get to have an identity anymore because COVID. So you wrote a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do not recommend, but it was, I mean, I also... I'm a professional writer. And so like there was, and I already had like a very specific like thing I wanted to say and I knew what it was. So, you know, it wasn't like I had already kind of outlined this, I think before the pandemic started. Shoot. How did I get off on that tangent? I don't know. Just that. um, Yeah. I don't know what people are waiting for. If they're like, I'm not sure if I'm ready. I really do think that you're playing a dangerous game if you let other people decide who you are. And that's what you said about, well, yeah, that's what people do. I don't understand. I I, don't know. I might not be the right guest to ask these questions because I don't know. No, no. I don't understand why a person, a woman, anybody would let herself be defined by what others need and want from her. You know. No, you're the perfect guest because you're one. Of, <laughs> you're one of a kind, and this is exactly the like big Maggie energy that I wanted to bring to the show. So I, I think you know that. There's a lot of people who need to hear that, Maggie. I hope that's in some of your new books that are coming out. Is this like, I don't know what you're waiting for. And people are going to say, well, I'm waiting for it to be perfect. I'm waiting for my time to become my own. I'm waiting for less people Mm -hmm. to need me. And I would say that's never going to happen because that's your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your comfort zone is very much about showing up where people expect you to be and not claiming the space in the world that's made for you and saying, this is where I live. Yeah. You can stay outside. I'm going to live in here. You can live in your house or your space. This is mine and I deserve it. I'm worth it. And I'm going to start, you know, sharing that with the world. I don't know if you remember this, but Be About Something came with this like awesome, like chat with Maggie for an hour. Mm hmm. And I think I probably bought the book in some ways because I was like, well, I want to spend an hour. with." Was it a whole hour? I don't know if it was that long, was it? I think it was like 30 minutes, but go ahead. Yes. <laughs> My baby had like a meltdown during the time. And anyway, and I was like, oh, I'm making such a bad impression. She probably thinks I should have got a babysitter. for that. Anyway, <laughs> but I don't know if you remember one of the things I said I really, really wanted to be about was to share with people that it's easier than you think on a podcast. Yes, I do remember that. I didn't have a podcast at the time. I think this was like, this was like August of 2020 or something. And I don't think if your book hadn't pushed me to actually articulate that, that I would have then probably eight months later Mm. launched this podcast because it was like this super secret desire. 
And if I didn't have to tell anybody what I really wanted was a podcast, then I didn't actually have to like produce a podcast. But for some for some reason, the act of telling you that what I really wanted was a podcast was almost like what I needed to step out of perfectionism, start claiming time to record mm. the podcast, ask my family for, for space and encouragement, put myself out there on Instagram and hope that people would listen. Yeah. You know, and I'm still making my way through that process. Like there are people in my life who have no idea that I have a podcast. Yeah. Right. So thank you for that. You're welcome. That's wonderful. Yeah, it really is. So I'm looking forward to whatever you're going to write next. Oh, good. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> yeah, whenever it is, I'm ready. Okay. And you can come back on the show then. Um, let's talk uh let's talk a little bit about time to write. Okay. Which is a really special intentional again, I think your your secret word is intention. You don't use that word very much and you said you don't like the word gratitude, which I respect. That's another rebellious streak in you. But uh it's a very intentional gathering of people. Yeah, yeah. So it is Every Wednesday we meet for an hour and we write. That's really all it is. But I made it be for to make a space for people and it's during the day. So you have to put it on your calendar. It's lunchtime Eastern or it's in the morning over here. But um, I guess, I mean, I felt like I wanted to do that to give people the space and also um, what do I want to say? Well, it's feedback free. We do read our work out loud, but we don't, we don't give each other any, um, Nothing except claps. <laughs> That's it. Because I think the most important thing, actually what you were saying, this is, ties in well, is the encouragement to keep going is really, really important um, because like in that unfolding. So if you are someone who's stuck, I said, I don't understand what people are waiting for, but let's say you're stuck or having trouble or, you know, when I've had this a lot, when, when you're like, well, what do I really want to say? It's like complete blank. It's almost like a panic, mm -hmm. you know, a blind, like looking into deer in the headlights kind of panic. I have gotten in that place many times and the encouragement from other writers or other uh, people I respect to just keep going has really helped. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to make a place where we just keep showing up, keep writing, and then if you are brave enough to read, I've only read like three times in time to write. Uh, you know, I don't read every time. But if you're brave enough to read your work, then all you need to hear from other people is awesome. So glad you did that. Because I think, again, it's there is we're so this is really hard to root out because we're this is the way our entire educational system is set up is like we're very set up to we're supposed to do something. We're supposed to know what we're doing, do it and then get graded on it. Yeah. When the time is up. Yes. Seeking out your creative reason for being and your purpose and your spark and all these things that, that that's just that has nothing to do with with that. The only you should be showing up. And then if you're scared and you keep going, that is what you were supposed to do that day. You were not supposed to make something awesome. You were just scared and you wrote anyways. That that is the accomplishment, not like you wrote something really good or you wrote something that you should like publish or something, you know, so. I think like that's why I made time to write is so that there would be this space where people showed up and kept like plugging away and messing around. And eventually, you know, maybe something comes out that they want to send to their email list or whatever you're showing up for, you know, or like put on Instagram even or whatever, you know. I think that you're minimizing a little bit what you've designed. And so I'm going to tease out parts of it because I want to understand some of the decisions that you've made. So you referenced that 
your writing process was about closing the door, lighting a candle. Mm -hmm. When you start Time to Write, which is held on Zoom, we show up and you briefly welcome everybody and you have a prompt. Mm -hmm. And I show up for the prompt. Oh, nice. Because the scariest thing for me is having time to write, but having a blank page. Mm. I need a kernel to start with. And once the kernel is there, I can probably write until I'm interrupted and I have to move on to the next thing. But yeah. if I don't have a kernel, then I will avoid the act of writing, even if it's in my calendar. And the reason I show up is you effectively, you create a space. You say, hi, everyone. Here's the prompt for today. Welcome to the session. I'm glad you're here. And let's begin. And you essentially do the same thing. You close the door and you light the candle, which is by mm. in inviting everyone to begin, providing the prompt, and then it's quiet. You mute yourself. You stay on camera, which I really appreciate. Makes me feel very um, tethered mm. to my captain because um, I'm that kind of person. But some people keep their cameras on. Some people turn their cameras off. But it is quiet. Mm. And all you can see are these Zoom screens. And then eventually you pull up your own writing and you kind of ambiently are in the space without being in the space. But there's this sort of like this like magical circle that you've drawn around yourself. And then you gently reintroduce us to presence with one another by reminding us that we're going to wrap up, inviting someone to speak. Sometimes someone shares, sometimes they don't. And you usually have a piece that you close us off with as a way to feel closure. Mm -hmm. You don't say, does anyone want to share? Okay, nobody does. See you next week. And we're all sort of like loose on the sea. You say, okay, who wants to share? We give snaps or we give claps. We give comments in the chat. And then you wrap us up with a poem that allows everyone to understand that we spent time in the process that that person might have spent time in. Mm-hmm. And it allows me to walk away feeling so super satisfied. But you've intentionally done these like moments in Time to Write that I feel like are really conducive to its success for me as a participant. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, I have had, I have not had conversation with, I've had some really positive email feedback about this. I just started it in January of 2023. So, um, but that is so nice that you've noticed all those things. They were all intentional. I were kind of, yes. And I like how you ran through them. Um, they're all for the reasons that you stated, like everybody has been on so many Zooms mm -hmm. that I was already Zooming for work. And then I also Zoom. I have one local group that I meet with, but otherwise I meet everyone that I meet with is on Zoom for this kind of writing stuff. And that was the way that I learned that like, there are certain things that that work really badly on Zoom. So like, if you don't close a space, people will not come back. Like they don't feel safe if you just go, hey, everybody. And then you go like, well, this is what it's for. And then you just go like, well, the hour's up. And then you like, you think that that's what people want because you think, oh, well, people want to move on and get about their day and I should respect their time. And I do, I always end on time, but they, I, I designed that last eight minutes or so of time to write where, because like, if we don't do that, then it's like, you don't get that sense that we were all together in a room. Right. So yeah, thanks for noticing all those things. I, I That makes me feel really, really seen. Thank you. 
at the end, I feel like I've hugged everybody and I can get in my car and drive away from the church basement where we were doing it. Like, it really creates this, like, ambient, virtual, tangible space. So thank you for designing it in that way. And I think that I've learned a lot about how to create spaces for folks just from being a participant in that. And I don't know if I've mentioned this to you in the pre- prep for the interview was I noticed the intentionality of the structure but now I'm reading The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. I don't know if you've read that book but um, nope. you don't need to because you get it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I've heard of it um, I, I, but I'm not, I don't know but thanks, I'm glad that some of what she's saying is happening. It's time to write. That's wonderful. Well, she talks, she talks about all of these elements that really make gathering meaningful for people. Good. And what you can pay attention to and the choices that you don't make and how those might show up and make your group ineffective. Mm. I think the other thing that she speaks to in the book is this more deeper underlying human need to connect and to be with others in any kind of space. But that as the facilitator of that space, you have a lot of responsibility to get it right. Mm. Who is time to write for and who is it not for? So it's very inclusive. It's really for anybody who wants uh, to set aside time to write. That's it. So you just, you don't have to show me your work. You don't have to ever show each other your work. It's really, the only person it's not for is someone who's showing up and doesn't like uses the time to like work on their taxes or something. (laughs) Like show, like hopefully give yourself the gift of actually writing the spaces for writing Um, Because I know it's tempting, and we've spoken about this in this interview, is like, it's tempting to be like, well, I really should respond to these five emails first. Like, don't do that. Just sit and write. That's what the time is for. And it's for for anything. You're writing blog posts. You're writing your novel. You're writing. You don't know what you're going to write yet. You haven't been writing for a long time, and you just want to try. It's Anybody can come. And how do you decide on the prompts? Because they're very diverse. I have a couple books of prompts. I have a, yeah, I should figure out what it is. I have a very specific taste, you know, for prompts. Yeah. There's certain, I hate prompts that are like, write a character who's like struggling with the, you know, those are, you know, <laughs> I, I, I never pick, I, in general, I never pick prompts that you need, you, you know, that are only for fiction because I know a lot of people in the group are not writing fiction or not interested in writing fiction. So mm-hmm. I try to pick prompts that are for anybody um, I have a really good, I do want to cite uh, the book Writing Alone and with Others. Um, I can't remember the name. I think the author's name is Schneider, Patty Schneider, I think. Um, that's got a bunch yep. of prompts in the, that's a great book about making a writing group, but at the back, it's got a bunch of good prompts. Um, sometimes I make them up. Uh, today I wrote, you know, I, one of mine was like, you know, write some advice, you know, like write so you know, cause I try to pick something that's easy to drop into. Um, you know, today was write an apology. <laughs> and I always say like, when I say those words, write an apology. And the first thing you think of, that's what you should write. Don't spend too much time thinking about, well, apology to who, or somebody should mm-hmm. be apologizing to me or, you know, <laughs> just write an apology, just do it. So yeah, those are kind of my parameters around it. And I also like look for feedback from people who are participating. So if people tell me that they liked something, I try to pick things that resemble that prompt. I always, this is going to sound so narcissistic, I don't care. I love what I write. Mm, that's nice. I love what I write at Time to Write. And very little of it is of of productive use mm-hmm. to the medium lady community or to my own Instagram posts or to transform into a podcast episode. 
very little of it. And I have really enjoyed and gone back and reread and edited some of the things that I've written from those time to write prompts. So gosh, that's amazing. It's been a creative practice. I can't always show up. It is in, it is a standing in my calendar. It's blocked off. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, I think the most benefit I get is from, and I need to be more consistent as possible is showing up more consistently. And I always think like, well, Maggie's showing up every week for us. Mm. You're bringing about, you know, what would you say 10 to 16 people into the group? I think at any one given time, I think that's also Mm -hmm. a slightly special part of the magic is the size. But yeah, if people are interested, if they're hearing, oh, time to write, you're feeling like it's sounding like a magical virtual space because it is, and you want to join, Maggie, how can people get an invitation to time to write? Come to my Instagram, Maggie Frank Shoe, and the link in the bio is the link to sign up for time to write. Uh, So that's probably the easiest way. Maggie, um, I have one more question for you, and then I think we'll have to unfortunately wrap it. Okay. My question is this. If you could take a time machine back 20 years and talk mm-hmm. to Maggie from 20 years ago. Oh, my gosh. What would you want her to know? Oh, Ugh, that's a very heart-rending question. I would want her to know that there's nothing wrong with her. She's not doing anything wrong. Um. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I would, I, yeah, I want to answer the question in the format you asked. I mean, I really want, I wish that back then, my, why I feel sad thinking about it is I wish I had had more confidence back then, but I also, I'm working, actively working on this in therapy and thinking about it in all kinds of contexts, including in my own writing is that there's, there's not, I followed the path that I followed, right. But I've only really been writing the stuff that I think I was born to write over the last three or four years, three years. Ooh, yeah. 22 year old. I don't think she was ready to write what was on her heart. Speaking of, maybe I have little sympathy for people who are not ready because I, back then I was like, well, you know, I'm not good enough and it's not coming naturally to me. So that must mean I don't have enough talent as if like, I didn't understand that, you know, that difference between amateur and professional you know, I didn't understand that you have to show up a bunch of times and write a bunch of crap before you write anything good. I just wish that like, I don't wish things had happened differently, but I just, I don't know if 22 year old me would recognize 42 year old me. Like, yeah. I, I think like I've achieved so much more than I dreamt of at 22 in terms of like having a loving husband and a beautiful family and a place that I love to live. And I don't know if I thought I was even going to get any of this stuff. So maybe I would just tell her, it all works out. That's so lame, but it does. It did. <laughs> you know, I would just tell her like, you know, it's okay to be worried and to feel how you feel and nothing's wrong with you. And the way you are now ends up in 20 years being, you end up having a lot of the things that you didn't even think you were worthy of getting. So it's okay to be imperfect and have no self-confidence right now because you, it still worked out. You just got to put one year in front of another. Yes. I think that that, I think, yeah, I hope that's what I would say to her. I just have so much empathy for her now Mm. because she just really didn't have that, a very high opinion of herself and had to work on that (laughs) in the intervening 20 years. So, yeah. I think that's really relatable, Maggie. Mm. Now let's flip it one more time. Let's imagine that uh, tomorrow someone knocks on your door and it's Maggie from 20 years from now, 62-year-old mm. Maggie's built a time machine. And what is she going to tell you on your front doorstep? Oh, God. Well, of course, I hope she tells me I'm a best-selling author. 
that's what I real. I mean, that's like, I cannot lie. I'm so glad you said that. It's not having, you know, this external and I do a lot, my creative practice, you know, I just let myself be, but of course I want that. So I hope she tells me that. And that, um, I've always said when I turned 40, I know you just turned 40 mm-hmm. when I turned 40 in 2021, it was extremely energizing because I kept saying to myself, you know, the things I do now in this first 12 months, this first six months of, you know, being in my forties, I want to look back when I'm 50 and be like, I'm so glad that that's what I was focused on. I'm so glad that I was, you know, writing. I was right. I was working on a manuscript that's finished now. I was, you know, changing my business so that it was way more focused on writing and editing. And I, I was just kept thinking every time I would make these set these intentions and make these changes, I would think I really want 50 year old me to look back and be like, so glad she did that in the first six months of 2021. And, um, so I think like, I hope 62 year old me comes back and is like, you know, the course you set in 2023, you know, just led us to this awesome point and your kids are amazing and all grown up and very well adjusted and your husband's severe and awesome and handsome and beautiful and, you know, life is good. I love that you said, I hope she tells me that we're a best-selling author. Oh, yeah. I appreciate your candor. I appreciate I think that's really important. Yeah. Thank you. And I want anybody listening to to claim that, to claim claim your fame and fortune that you want your 20, yourself 20 years from now to bring to, bring to you. I, I love that. I'm all about speaking that truth to power or whatever the phrase is. Mm, thank you. Maggie, this has been amazing. Honestly, I wish you lived around the corner for me. I would be so annoying. I would be harassing you all the time. I love that. I wish that Come too. over to my backyard. Let's talk about the birds and, <laughs> and complain about the patriarchy together. Yeah. But this has been so special to me. Thank you for coming on the podcast. If people want more from you, where can they find you? Yeah, my website is MaggieFrankHSU.com, Maggie Frank Shoe. And then that's my Instagram, Maggie Frank HSU. Those are the two places uh, when you if you sign up for Time to Write, you'll end up on my list and I send writing tips. So those are the places where you really can read my writing and get to know a lot more about me. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, we'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Please make sure to reach out and connect on Instagram with me. I can be found at medium.lady over there. If you have any feedback about today's conversation, you can head to the pink tile in my feed for the latest episode and we can always continue the conversation over there. If you like this podcast, please make sure to share a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you love this podcast, please share it on social media. Be sure to tag me so I can personally thank you for growing our community. Finally, be sure to follow this podcast wherever you're listening and make sure your notifications are on. Don't forget, you're doing such a good job. Bye.